Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash. And you're listening to episode 95 of Chat Disney. Welcome to the first episode of 2021. Happy New Year to you all. We are back this Monday with a very exciting episode indeed. Tash and I are going to be talking about the things that we're really looking forward to this year in the world of Disney. And we're also going to be wrapping today's episode up with a full movie review of the new Pixar animation, Soul. But before we head into all of that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. A little bit of exciting Star Wars news for any Star Wars fans out there. Disney are currently recruiting for a Star Wars social media manager. The role has gone viral, as I'm sure you can all imagine. So if you're based in California, you're a big Star Wars fan and you have experience in social media management, definitely apply for this opportunity. That is very, very exciting. A little bit of parks and resorts news for you today. So obviously the next big event that is coming is Chinese New Year. And Walt Disney World and California have now put out their Chinese New Year merchandise, of course, as well as Shanghai, it goes without saying. There's a lovely spirit jersey. There's some beautiful red and gold mini ears, which I really, really want to get my hands on a pair of, but I might have to take to eBay for them. So I'll keep my eyes peeled. In other news, Walt Disney World have announced that some of their staff will be some of the first people to get the new COVID vaccine, which I think is an amazing thing for them to say and decide to go ahead and do and hopefully will mean that they can get people back in the parks quicker and safely. Um, And finally, looking at our little friend Remy and the Ratatouille attraction that is coming to Walt Disney World, coming to Epcot. Remy was spotted recently outside the attraction which is very exciting and they have also released a preview video of the ride but it is very much akin to the Paris version they look pretty much exactly the same indeed so yeah if you are a bit like myself and you like a spoiler you could just watch a ride video of the Paris version and yeah you'll know what to expect when you finally get to board this in Epcot And final news for you this week comes from the world of Marvel and quite a lot's happened actually in the world of Marvel this week. It would have been Stan Lee's 98th birthday. Obviously, the creator of Marvel passed away a couple of years ago now. Very, very sad, but you know, a happy birthday to Stan if you're listening. And this is really really exciting. There are rumours circulating this week that both Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Keanu Reeves are in talks with Marvel. So we can expect those actors, if these rumours are true, to be a part of the MCU. I can personally really see Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a Marvel superhero, somebody like an Edward Norton, I'm imagining, like, you know, the kind of dark hero or Benedict Cumberbatch type role. For Keanu Reeves, I'm thinking he must be a Marvel villain. I can't see him as anything else other than a Marvel villain. So very exciting to see if this rumor is true. And finally, Tom Hanks, Woody himself, has outwardly spoken 
this week and said that he believes that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be the savior of movie theaters around the world, which is a pretty bold statement. But I think that if Marvel stick to their guns and don't put any movies direct to Disney+, Plus, then Tom Hanks could be absolutely right. Oh, I really hope he is. I really do worry about movie theatres and cinemas. So I really hope that Tom is correct on this one. Yeah, me too. I kind of see Tom Hanks as like the uncle I wish I had. So I feel like I trust him. The all-knowing Tom, exactly. And that about concludes everything that has been happening in the world of Disney this week. We are now going to move on to the main bit of our episode, talking about 2021. So I think that we can all safely agree that we are very happy to be shot of 2020. What a car crash of a year. Tash and I did, of course, do an episode last week where we spoke extensively about the positive things that had happened in 2020. But let's be fair, Tash. I think we were scraping the barrel a little bit, trying to come up with the content. It wasn't as natural for us as it has been in previous years when trying to talk about some of the year's highlights. But we can forget about that now. It's all safely behind us, we hope. And there are lots of exciting things to look forward to in 2021 as we explore the world of Disney. But before we do that, Tash, I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask you every January. Do you have any personal goals or any resolutions for 2021? Oh, good question. I actually saw something online, I think it was a couple of days ago, about not making resolutions this year because, you know, we've had such a terrible 2020 that we shouldn't start the year trying to, you know, look at our flaws and better ourselves, which I thought was quite apt, actually. In terms of personal goals, my biggest one which I will do this year is to pass my driving test. So I've been learning for over a year now, but obviously because of everything that happened last year, it's been very, very stop start. I didn't have any lessons in November because we were in lockdown. I then decided not to have any in December because I was being extra careful for Christmas. And now in Sussex, we're in tier four again. So I still can't have any. So I don't know when they're going to start again. So it's getting very, very frustrating. But I hope by the end of the year, I mean, I hope a long time before the end of the year, but I hope that that is something I can tick off as soon as possible in 2021. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, being able to drive gives you a lot of freedom anyway. Obviously, Tash and I live in a city, so it's kind of not essential really for where we live. That said, in a pandemic, when you don't want to get on public transport, I can imagine that that has been quite restrictive for you. So I've got everything crossed for you, all of my limbs and body parts and everything are crossed right now. Thank you very much. And how about you, Mercedes? Obviously, 2021 is going to be quite a big year for you. Yeah, well, possibly. So obviously, I was meant to get married in May of this year. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think that both myself and Grumpy were really optimistic about 2021. And then, of course, we've had the news of this new strain that's come out of the United Kingdom. It's currently prohibited from most countries to enter the UK. We have, of course, just had the really exciting news about the Oxford vaccine, which from today is being rolled out to people in the UK. So I really don't know what this year is going to look like in terms of getting married and that sort of thing. 
So I'm just going to have no expectation when it comes to that. I'm hoping to move house in the first half of this year. So again, fingers and toes and everything crossed, that happens nice and smoothly. Obviously trying to move house in lockdown, which is essentially what we're in right now in Sussex, is a little bit complex, but we'll see what happens. And yeah, much like you, with regards to resolutions, I am going to make a resolution this year, but it's just simply to be more grateful for everything and not take anything for granted. I you know, small things like we spoke last week about things like my engagement party and how I completely took for granted the fact that I had 80 of my closest friends and family in a venue together celebrating. I can't wait to have a meal with my friends or to go for brunch or even a coffee with a friend. So I'm just so thankful for the things that we can do. And I think for the rest of my life after this year, I am not going to take anything for granted. I completely agree. I think that's such a a positive way of going into this year. And I think that what you said about not having any expectations is really spot on. Like, I don't have any holidays or any trips planned this year. There's a couple of maybes, but nothing sort of penned or booked. And apart from your wedding, I literally have nothing planned. And actually... I'm quite okay with that. I think normally if it was any other year, if 2020 hadn't been the way it was, I'd have been like, oh my God, like we need to book a holiday. We need to do this. Like we need to make some plans. But actually I'm really excited at the prospect of just being able to go out and like have my grandparents together as a family with everyone and like go for a meal with like four or five people and not have to constantly worry about stuff. So I think that again, going forward, hopefully forever, I would appreciate the little things more than, you know, obviously the big things are great, but I hope it will make me appreciate these little things that we do sort of on a daily basis a lot more. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all familiar with 500 Days of Summer and how, well, we might not be familiar with the movie, but how they have that really clever reality versus expectation. And that's become like a famous internet meme, which I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with. And there's that phrase isn't there expectation is the thief of joy and I think sometimes you know that's why 2020 was so devastating because lots of our listeners will have these amazing trips booked or they were meant to get married last year or they had their first child and their partner wasn't allowed in the hospital or they lost their job and you know it's just so shocking to us when all of these kind of things unfold I think that if you don't expect anything you can only be delighted Exactly. I think that's such a great way of of looking at things. But of course, talking about expectations, there are some things that we can expect this year in terms of what's going on with Disney. And I think one of the things that, you know, has been spoken about a lot and in terms of things being pushed back is obviously movie releases. And I think we're at the point now where we still don't know how that's going to look for a lot of films. We don't know if these are going to be straight to cinema releases, if they're going to be straight to Disney Plus, or if they're going to be a combination with both, which I think the first big release, which is March the 5th, is obviously Raya and the Last Dragon. And they have announced that that is going to be both Disney Plus and in theatres as well, which I really agree with. I really like that because I think by March, you're still going to have a lot of people who don't feel ready to go back to cinemas and theatres. So I think by doing it in both ways is a great way of tackling that issue because for me 
I was gutted when they announced that Soul was just coming to Disney+. Plus. I mean, now I'm really grateful because we're in tier four, all the cinemas are closed, we wouldn't have been able to see it. So now I'm really grateful, but I'm really happy that they have made the decision with Raya and the Last Dragon to put it in cinemas as well. Yeah, I agree. And I'm curious, and I thought this about Soul, but how are they making money when it's just on Disney Plus and they're not charging a premium? Yeah, I actually have no idea. And I was thinking this as well, because obviously it made sense when they did it with Mulan and they charged for a period and then it went free. But I don't know with Soul and I don't imagine it's that they can't be making much money from people signing up to Disney Plus just to watch Soul. So I really don't know here. No, it's interesting. And like it's even been marketed as such now as a Disney Plus original, which it was never intended to be. And because of the nature of the kind of film that it is, I can't imagine that merchandise sales, you know, going to skyrocket if it was like a Frozen or something like that. You'd think, well, they're going to recoup the costs by, you know, selling all this merchandise. So it's a bit of an interesting one. And obviously we are doing a full review of Soul at the end of today's episode, but it's definitely something that got me thinking. And with regards to Ryan the Last Dragon... I imagine that that will be an additional cost if it's on theatres as well, because otherwise, why would anyone pay to see it at the cinema? But we really don't know at this point in time. Yeah, no. And I think it will be interesting to see. And I guess they probably don't know either at the moment as well. I mean, like the current situation is so different in so many countries. that I guess that they're kind of waiting on it. These decisions don't have to be made until closer to the time, do they? So wait and see what happens absolutely and I think that you know as we're talking about the beginning half talking about things reopening something that I really hope to see in 2021 is the reopening of all of the Disney resorts worldwide I don't know if I'm going to get to a Disney park next year I sincerely hope that I do but I just especially Disneyland in LA I mean it's been closed since March 2020 I really hope we see the reopening of all of those parks this year. I, I, I might be making this up and it might not have been an official thing because I saw the headline or like the news article in the middle of doing something and I meant to read it and it's just dawned on me that I didn't go back and look at it. But I'm sure I saw something posted on a social media site the other day about um, California and they've submitted plans for Disneyland to open in July 2021. July? So- it might not be true. I didn't read the article. I literally just saw the title of the article. But yeah, which obviously would mean that it's been well over a year, which is insane, quite frankly. But yeah, obviously, like you say, Paris is due to open again at the moment. I think it's February. Hong Kong, we don't really know what's happening with that. But I think the big one is California. And I really hope that we do get some concrete plans about that soon. And in terms of Disney trips... I'm sitting here praying and hoping and I'm quite positive about it. But like you said at the beginning of this episode, no expectation. Exactly. And I think we just don't know. That's the kicker. Like things were starting to look up for us in the United Kingdom. And then we got this mysterious new strain. Like who knows what's going to happen? The vaccine could be rolled out today. You know, great day today. The Oxford vaccine's being rolled out. We've got the other vaccine as well that people are already being given. And within a month's time, we might have all developed herd immunity. All the oldies have had the vaccine. Happy days. We just don't know what, 
is going to happen. And that's why it's so difficult to kind of navigate. I've just checked that Disneyland thing and I can't find anything. So I'm definitely going to look into that. I did just find that they submitted plans for July of this year, but it got pushed back. But I can't find anything about July 2021. So it'd be interesting. If any of our listeners know anything about that, do get in touch because I'm really curious to know what's going to happen. Yeah, I might have made it up, but I'm sure I saw it. Whatever. Who knows? I'm sure it'll open at some point this year. It has to do, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think before we go on to talking about movie releases again, one thing that I think we should just mention, obviously, that we were expecting this year that we know is not happening is the D23 Expo, which normally happens every two years. So it should be this year, and we know now that we're not getting that, unfortunately, because of planning and, again, not knowing it makes complete sense. But I'm really hoping that around that time we get some big announcements for what's going to happen sort of later in the year and next year. I think as well, like, again, that you know, the common thread of today's episode, it was meant to be this really exciting glance at the future of Disney, but actually there is a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of ambiguity kind of clouding everything. And I think what good would a D23 be this year when Disney are in, you know, financial difficulty, and probably the biggest financial difficulty they've been in for a very, very, very long time. Why would they promise these things to fans? We still don't have insight into, you know, which of the announcements from the last D23 are actually still going to happen. There's a lot of speculation that some of the things that are meant to be opening at Epcot are actually going to be postponed or even cancelled. So, in my mind, it would make no sense to hold a D23, which is meant to be this event that creates momentum and excitement in the in the eyes of fans about the really awesome, innovative things that Disney are working on. When they're in this place of financial difficulty, they're in this place of uncertainty, I think it would potentially be one of the most disappointing and depressing conferences of all time. It would be, you know, this movie's been postponed to Disney Plus and we're not actually going to proceed with this movie and this ride is not opening anymore. It would just be a bit deflating. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I hope by that time that things are looking up and they focus on some positive stuff rather than this is what you could have had, but not anymore. Absolutely. Um, yeah, anyway, but I mean, moving on, and as we say, you know, there are some exciting things that we know are coming to parks, obviously, Ratatouille, the attraction that's coming to Epcot, we know that that will be very soon. Obviously, we've got the Cosmic Rewind attraction, which is the Guardians of the Galaxy ride as well, which is coming very, very soon. So there is still some positive things that will be coming to parks sort of early this year. Absolutely. And we may not have a D23 this year, but Disney did give us a little slice of excitement into what we can expect in this year and the following years as well in the way of Investors Day. So we did mention this briefly during the news a couple of weeks ago, Investors Day was really exciting because the Walt Disney Company announced lots of films and TV shows and documentaries that are in the works. And Tash and I are super excited about some of the things that are coming. We have had some sad news that things like the Lizzie McGuire reboot have been cancelled, but there's still plenty to be excited about. So we're going to talk about the announcements now and what we're really excited about. But I wanted to ask you, Tash, if you had to pick just one thing from Investors Day that you're most excited about, what would it be? Oh, that's such a good question. 
I, and I know they're not coming this year, but I'm really excited by some of the series that they're bringing straight to Disney Plus. So we've got the Tiana one, we've got Zootropolis, we've got the Baymax, one of the Big Hero 6 one, and a Moana one as well. So I'm really excited for these to see, like it kind of reminds me of back in the day, obviously we spoke about Disney Channel stopping last week. It reminds me of when you would have, you know, like, like in your Hercules etc on Disney Channel so I'm very excited to see what direction these take and you know if they're set at the time if they're set before or after I'm really excited for I think probably the Tian one is the one I'm most looking forward to yeah out of those I'm really looking forward to the Tiana one I think that Tiana is often overlooked and isn't represented as much as the other Disney princesses so hopefully this additional piece of content means that she'll get even more recognition in Disney parks and on merchandise and things like that so completely agree with you if I had to pick just one thing it's really hard there's so many that I'm really excited about Disenchanted was one that I just wasn't expecting and and I'm really looking forward to. But I think the thing that just slightly pips it to the post for me is Encanto. So Encanto is a Walt Disney Studios animation film. So it's going to be the next sort of classic after Ryan the Last Dragon. And it's um, set in Colombia. And it's all about a magical family. So straight away, you know, South America, I'm obsessed with. I have Hispanic heritage. I love Coco. Tick, 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 tick. A magic family. You know, when I'm not raving about Disney movies, I'm raving about Harry Potter. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. So anything fantastical, magical, I'm here for that. So that's another big tick from me. And then finally, we've got Lin Manuel Miranda doing the music. Now, I have to just caveat this. I absolutely adore Hamilton and I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda is so clever in his lyrics. I'm not the biggest fan of some of his work in Moana. So things like Shiny, I don't have an awful lot of time for. I just don't really like Moana very much. So I'm kind of conflicted about the fact that they've got Lin-Manuel Miranda back for this. So I'm kind of, yeah, hopefully, maybe it's just Moana's storyline that didn't grip me and actually the songs are decent. I'm not sure, but I'm just very fascinated to see what this movie is going to be. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree. In terms of movie releases, this is definitely the one that I'm most excited for. And I can't wait to start seeing some concept art and some sneak previews. Yes, yeah, see, I'm excited about Lin-Manuel Miranda being on it. The music of Moana was one of my favourite aspects of that film. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, so I'm excited to see what he does with this kind of Colombian Spanishy soundtrack. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of fun with it, for sure. Definitely. And then I guess in terms of other big releases that we've got from Pixar, we've got Luca, which is coming in June. So that's the one that is set in the Italian Riviera, I think it is. We don't know too much about that movie at the moment, apart from it's about a boy named Luca who goes on some sort of adventure. But June, six months away, I can only imagine we'll start seeing little clippets of that very, very shortly. Yeah, see, I'm not that excited about that. I think from Pixar the movie that I'm, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm, well, I guess I'm most looking forward to seeing, but from kind of a bit of a cynical skeptic perspective is Lightyear. So let me just explain for anyone listening, because you might be thinking like Lightyear, like Buzz Lightyear. 
And you would be absolutely correct. And then you might be thinking, oh, okay, so like Toy Story 5, wrong. So this is the way that Pete Doctor, who is the current CEO of Pixar or creative director, I can't remember his official title, the new John Lasseter has pitched this. So he has basically said that when they made Toy Story, the action figure Buzz Lightyear was always based on a real life kind of action hero Buzz Lightyear who was in movies. So similarly to how the Woody doll is like from the Woody's Roundup TV show. So, you know, if you have a kid and they watch Peppa Pig and they've got a Peppa Pig doll, that kind of link, this would be like Iron Man and your kid having an Iron Man toy. Now, the issue that I have with this is they're using Chris Evans. I had to remember which Chris. There are so many Marvel Chrises. They're using Chris Evans as the voice for this Buzz Lightyear, not Tim Allen. And they're like, Chris Evans is the real Buzz Lightyear. And Tim Allen's like the knockoff toy version of Buzz Lightyear. But then why has Woody's Roundup on TV got Tom Hanks's voice and the dolls also got Tom Hanks's voice? And I don't know. I have a lot of issues with this. And they've made it sound like it was always their intent that Buzz Lightyear was from a TV thing. And I kind of buy that because we did have the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command TV show. But that buzz looked exactly like this buzz. I feel that they're backpedaling. I don't feel that it was always intended to be a real live action superhero. Also, just to spice things up a bit, it's not live action because it's Pixar. So it's like an animated live action in the way that like soul is about a real human. This is an animation of a human. So Buzz in it is going to be animated, but he's a human. It, it's hurting my brain. I mean, yeah, that <laughs> the way you explained that last bit as well, hurt my brain as well, but I don't know how else you would explain it. And I think... I'm really not sure about this at all. I'm very sceptical. I feel like with having Tom Hanks voicing Woody in the series, I, I guess they did that because obviously it was part of Toy Story 2. It was part of that film. Whereas with this, if they had Tim Allen, people would automatically be like, well, it's Toy Story 5. Like, call it what you want, what you want but it's Toy Story 5. Whereas casting him with a completely different voice actor does essentially turn him into a completely different character. But you're never going to be able to break that link between Lightyear and Toy Story. And I'm just not sure. I feel like they need to let, as much as I love Toy Story, I feel like they need to let it go. Definitely. I watched Toy Story 4 actually over the Christmas period because I've only seen it the one time and obviously was so disgusted with it. And I still stand by everything we said when we reviewed the movie. I think the ending does Woody such a disservice. The film itself is actually fine for like light entertainment, but that's kind of what bothers me. The Toy Story franchise in my mind is not light entertainment. It's some of the greatest animated movies of all time. It completely transformed the way that animation was perceived it suddenly became accessible for adults we saw this huge increase in cgi we saw rival studios like universal and dreamworks and and fox and and all of these other studios suddenly adapt to cgi it was such a game changer in the world of cinema and then for them to just kind of really 
stretch and pull it too much. It felt insulting to me, to that franchise. And with this light year, I just, I, my issue with it is still, as I say, I just like, don't lie. Like it's kind of like Monsters University when they're like, oh yeah, we always knew that Mike and Sully met at university. And it's like, well, you didn't because there's a line in the first movie where he says, I've been running circles around you since kindergarten. So that's not true. And I don't believe... If Buzz Lightyear was a real spaceman, I might believe it a bit more. Like he was a real spaceman, a bit like Buzz Aldrin, like went to the moon or whatever. And then they made a TV series, a cartoon animated TV series about him and and kids had action figures. I might buy that. But to say that he was a cinema, a Hollywood star, I never got that from that toy. I never got that Andy had been to the cinema to watch this amazing Buzz Lightyear blockbuster film and then wanted the toy. I I don't see that. No, I completely agree. I always thought that he had come from like a TV show, kind of in the same way Woody and Woody's Roundup. That's how I thought he had come to be. I never thought of him as being a movie star and like a whole movie about Buzz Lightyear. So with this film, so you might have already explained this, but... So is the film we're getting the film that is meant to have been what Andy would have seen in order for him to become enamoured with Buzz Lightyear? Yes. Okay. Interesting. It's an interesting concept. I totally agree they're backpedalling here. I'm not sure if it's going to work for me. I'm really, I'm fascinated. I can't wait to see it, but I will be going with a critical lens. (laughs) 100% as we always do for these things absolutely so let's move on from light year I feel like we've spoken about it for light years what else did we get from investors day Tash that you're really excited about what else did we get from investors day I mean there was a whole long long list of stuff I think the things that I've spoken about already that I'm really excited about about are some of the shorts that are coming to Disney plus I know there's some Star Wars and more Marvel stuff, which doesn't really thrill me, but I know a lot of people were very, very excited by that. I imagine you were as well, Mercedes. Yeah, for me, the big one is more confirmation on the Obi-Wan series because we did get told about this previously at the D23, but we also got told about Lizzie McGuire and that's been shelved. So I was concerned that the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show on Disney Plus would be a casualty of kind of, you know, budget cuts or time constraints or whatever it may be. So to hear that Ewan McGregor is going to be reprising the role of Obi-Wan and have his own TV show on Disney Plus makes me so excited and then if that wasn't enough to find out that Hayden Christensen is going to be reprising the role of Anakin or Darth Vader I'm not really sure which version Uh, that's just I love the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan you were my brother I loved you I'm so excited to see those two on screen again and I'm obviously really excited for the Mandalorian season three the Mandalorian season two ended on such a cliffhanger will the baby Yoda be in season three are we going to see more of those Skywalker saga characters who knows I've got so many questions not that excited about the book of Boba Fett I know that grumpy is and I know that sort of true diehard Star Wars fans are I'm not I'm kind of like a fair weather Star Wars fan I would say so not that excited about that but 
yeah, Obi-Wan I'm here for, Mandalorian season three. Looking at Marvel, I'm really intrigued by WandaVision. There are a lot of kind of predictions and rumors about what that show might be. And some of the stuff I've seen on YouTube by some of the real big Marvel comic fans have made me very intrigued because I think that WandaVision's maybe not what it appears on the surface. I think there might be a lot more going on there, some twists and turns. And if that is correct, then I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, the sort of previews and the marketing for that does really intrigue me. And I guess, I mean, that's coming in mid-January, isn't it? So that's the first thing that we've got to look forward to this year, I guess. Absolutely. And then something else moving away from Star Wars and Marvel that I'm really excited to watch whenever it comes out is, of course, the live action version of The Little Mermaid. And again, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he has written original songs with Alan Menken. I mean, Alan Menken, we all know I've got a crush on Alan Menken. Tash is a big old Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. So we're very happy about this. New original songs for The Little Mermaid composed by those two brilliant minds. And as if you couldn't get any more Hamilton into this movie, the role of Sebastian is going to be played by none other than David Diggs, who plays Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton. And he is one of my favourite characters in Hamilton. The fact that he is Sebastian is just awesome. I completely agree. Normally when they announce a live action movie, I'm a bit like, oh, do we really need this? But obviously The Little Mermaid is probably, it's always a toss up between that and The Beauty and the Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. But at the moment, I'm going to have to say it's The Little Mermaid. And I'm very excited that they are doing this. I think it's been cast brilliantly. I'm so excited to see if they adapt the story, which I hope that they do a little bit. I really hope that it's not another Lion King failure where it's just exactly the same. I hope they take it and change it a little bit, get some new songs in there. I'm really, really happy about this. But I don't think, this isn't coming until 2022, I don't think, is it? I'm not sure when. I can't imagine. I mean, the cast has only just been announced. So I think that, yeah, we're going to be waiting a little while for this. Interestingly, I think that, yeah, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be directed by Rob Marshall, who, of course, directed Chicago. He's no stranger when it comes to musicals. So, again, another big tick. The new songs from Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda, it all sounds awesome. I'm going to say something really interesting. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say something really interesting. What a bold statement. But, no, maybe it's, no, a discussion point. We found out that Melissa McCarthy is going to be portraying Ursula. And for some reason, I just wasn't expecting a white cisgendered woman as Ursula. I either imagined her as a black woman, and I don't know why, because Pat Carroll, who portrays her, is white, and Ursula is obviously, like, purple. But for some reason, I imagined it to be a black woman. It could be subliminal, because Ursula in the Once Upon a Time TV series is black, so maybe that's why. And I think Ursula's daughter in The Descendants is black as well, so maybe that's why. In the same way that the genie is often depicted as a black character when he's live action for whatever reason I just had it in my mind that Ursula would be black or that it would be a drag queen 
I think that would have been amazing. I mean, because I was thinking, again, because Queen Latifah played her and played her really well in that live stage show that they did in LA, I think it was last year, um, and did such a fantastic job of it. But I wonder if it's because, you know, change what they've done with casting Ariel and casting Hayley, Hayley Bailey, Hayley, I can never say. Hayley Bailey. Hayley, that's the one. Casting her is a great choice. And I wonder if they had of cast a black actress as Ursula, if people would have been like, why are you changing a white villain into a black villain? I don't know if they thought people would see that as a bad move. I don't know. So that's why they did the decision with Ariel. They could have done both, but I think you're completely right. I think that Ursula is infamously, you know, she's based on divine. We know that she's a very out of all the, Disney villains, Disney characters even, she is the most draggy. I think it would have been a fantastic decision to cast her as a drag queen, but I guess Disney know that a lot of people in the world still aren't ready for that, unfortunately, and there probably would have been quite a lot of controversy around it for God knows whatever reason why, but I'm very happy they didn't do that. Yeah, and it's interesting because obviously when Hayley, I'm doing it now, Halle Bailey was cast as Ariel, there was a lot of negativity online, which was horrible to see. She's got a fantastic voice. I've watched YouTube videos of her performing. For me, Ariel is all about the voice. And I think she's going to, I know she's going to sing part of your world beautifully. But it was surprising that they cast a black actress because again, looking at the animation, the princess in that movie is red haired and and fair skin. And I agree. I think that maybe by portraying Ursula as black as well, these horrible trolls would have been like, now you've just made everyone black. But I don't know what it is about Ursula. I mean, Ursula's purple for one, as I said, so she could be any race or portrayed by an actress of any race or actor of any race. But it is an interesting one, isn't it? That again, the genie, Robin Williams, voiced by a white actor, blue skin, every adaptation I've ever seen of Aladdin, he's portrayed by a black actor. I'm thinking about the musical when it launched on Broadway. Then of course it debuted in the West End, both with black actors, Will Smith, a black actor. And Ursula is the same. I completely forgot about Queen Latifah at the Hollywood Bowl as well. And I feel now, I don't know, in my mind, that role should be portrayed by a black actor and I I feel that making her white is not great and you can't say oh you know well we made Ariel black and we're like we're worried about I don't care about trolls I I think that Ursula should be played by well I obviously think Ursula should be played by the best person for the job regardless of gender or race or whatever but I always saw that as a black role I always did yeah I would like to know who else they had in mind for that Mm. Same. Interested because I don't know Melissa McCarthy is that her name? The one yes. So I associate her with you know things like obviously bridesmaids and she's very comedic and I I can't imagine her in that role. I can't imagine her having that kind of sinister side to her. I do, I don't know. I I I hope that it's not played in a comical sort of way because mm-hmm. I think. Ursula is a terrifying villain and she's you know fabulous and flamboyant at the same time and I'm just interested to see how that role comes across and 
in a live action and also the CGI for that role. I can't wait to see what we get and what she's going to look like. Yeah, and like, how are they going to do Ariel's tail? Yeah, like I'm thinking about this now. What 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 is Sebastian going to look like? What's Flounder going to look like? How this whole world that they're going to create under the sea, like it's such a big job for CGI. Like the whole thing is going to be CGI essentially. And I'm yeah, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I am as well. That's not the only live action that we've got to look forward to. Um, Disney did recently let on that there will be an untitled live action film becoming December the 17th. We don't know what that is. There is a lot of speculation at the moment. Could it be Bambi? Could it be Fox and the Hound? Could it be something straight to Disney Plus? I don't know. We're going to have to sit on that one and wait and see. Um, Another one that I'm really looking forward to, which is not a live action remake, but it is Cruella, which is coming on May the 28th. And we have Emma Stone playing the role of Cruella, which again, I'm really, really excited to see what they do with this film, we know it's going to be her story. I'm not the biggest fan of Cruella as a character, but I do love a villain story. I'm not a huge fan of the Maleficent movie, so I hope that this is better than them. But yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with this one. I'm really not interested in this at all. I think that Glenn Close played Cruella excellently in the 90s live action of 101 Dalmatians. And this film just feels completely unnecessary to me. I also hate both of the Maleficent movies. I just think that when they take a character as iconic as that, like Cruella is evil and that's it. There doesn't need to be an explanation. There are evil people in the world. And I worry that with this Emma Stone adaptation, obviously like Angelina Jolie, Emma Stone is a very successful actress, very well liked. I'm concerned that they're going to try and justify Cruella's behavior and give us insight into her past to try and make us empathize with her. And I don't care if she was, you know, left out on the street as a child to fend for herself. That does not justify the action of stealing innocent puppies to make yourself a coat from. I I don't want her to have like a redeeming backstory or any kind of redemption arc because I just I just feel it's wholly unnecessary yeah I do agree with you and I hope that they go down a slightly different path to what they did with Maleficent I do think Cruella is an interesting choice because I think she is one of the more obviously she is iconic but she is one of the more neglected villains I would say but I think that comes along with 101 Dalmatians not being a massive movie either like I can see them doing maybe like a Jafar or something, something with a bigger villain. So it's interesting that they've gone down the Cruella path, but hey, we shall just have to see. I'm sure we'll be doing a movie review of it later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. And there is another villain, of course, who is getting more exciting content. And this is something I am here for. And I do think we need this. I don't think it's wholly unnecessary. Luke Evans and Josh Gad. Can you get a more iconic duo? They did, of course, portray Gaston and LeFou in the live action adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. And they are getting their very own spin-off TV show direct to Disney Plus. And I cannot wait. Yeah, I completely forgot about this one because they announced it so long ago. I think it was at D23, last, the last one that they announced it. So it was, it's been a long time coming. 
But I do love watching those two characters bounce off of each other. They are definitely one of my favourite things about that live action Beauty and the Beast. I just love their relationship and their chemistry on screen. So I can't wait to see kind of what happens and, you know, what the story is. Is it set, you know, before? Is it about how they met? Because that's something I've always wondered how they team up. Well, it's going to have to be before because we all know what happens to Gaston. Very true. But I meant like, is it going to be like way, way before like Belle was even a thing or is it going to be kind of, you know, closer to the events of Beauty and the Beast? I don't know. Well, it's interesting because I mean, it's a really good point that you make. Obviously, Belle talks about living in this small provincial town. So my assumption was always that, you know, Gaston and Belle had kind of grown up together in this in this town and no one really moves from this town or whatever we know from the live action Beauty and the Beast that Maurice and his wife lived in Paris together when Belle was a baby and they had to flee to the countryside because of the plague which unfortunately took Belle's mother's life so I always got the impression that baby Belle and Maurice escaped the countryside and that Gaston was you know one of the local town's children and that they'd grown up together and then when they'd kind of come of age Gaston had decided she's the most beautiful girl in town and she has to marry me and that was that so it will be interesting to see I don't expect there'll be a cameo from Emma Watson but it'll be interesting to see if Belle is mentioned in the series or perhaps it's you know Josh Gad and Luke Evans portraying Gaston and LeFou on a quest maybe they're hunting in the forest maybe they're not in that town because I imagine it would get quite monotonous and quite boring if the whole thing was filmed in the town so maybe it's them off hunting doing whatever they like to do yeah it's another one that I just I can't call it I've got absolutely no idea but I can't wait for it I just don't see that it could be anything other than entertaining like when the Mandalorian was announced not one part of me thought it was going to be bad and I didn't know anything about it at that point I didn't know that the baby Yoda was going to be in it and that he was going to be my favorite character from anything ever in the whole entire world but I just knew it was going to be good. And I just, and maybe I'm going to eat my words, but I just know that this is going to be good. I just know it. I, I'm quite confident in it. I feel like it could be, for me, the storyline could be weak, but because you've got those two characters bouncing off of each other, played by Josh Gad and um, Luke Evans, I feel like it will be entertaining regardless. Yes. Exactly. It doesn't matter if the plot is weak. What will be strong is the relationship and the chemistry between the characters. And yeah, I just can't wait to see more of them on our screens. And when talking about Investors Day, obviously, when we kind of reflected on 2019 last year, one of the big trends for the Walt Disney Company was the acquisition of so many other studios and so many other assets to build what is quite easily one of the largest empires in the world, the Walt Disney Empire. I, I, you know, like Star Wars Empire, but nicer and more friendly. And one of the most recent acquisitions was, of course, Fox and Hulu. And that means that all of the amazing content on Hulu was also announced on Investors Day. And something that I'm really excited about is The Handmaid's Tale. So we found out that season four will be returning this year in 2021. And we've also had confirmation that The Handmaid's Tale is going to be renewed for a fifth season. So if any of our listeners are big fans of The Handmaid's Tale like I am, this is really, really exciting news. 
Never watched it. Couldn't even tell you what I think it's about. Oh, watch it and don't read what it's about because I went into it completely blind and like you will love it. It's awful but like in the same way that Game of Thrones is awful like it's shocking and it's barbaric but it's so good okay not what I was expecting so did you think it was like period and set in the past because of the fashion Okay, so I feel like I have to tell you what it's about now. It's set in a dystopian future and it seems really far-fetched, but now with COVID and everything that's happening in the world, I feel like it's not that far-fetched. So it's based on a Margaret Atwood book. Margaret Atwood is one of my favorite authors, studied her at uni, she's brilliant. And it's set in the future and it's basically America, but it's been renamed Gilead and it's gone like really weird and culty and religious. And basically the reason why is because there's some kind of disease where only some people can have children. Oh, this is not, this is literally like not what I would have expected it to be about at all. No, I thought it was like Pilgrim set in like the 1800s. I thought, I thought it was like a that sort of thing period drama yeah not at all it's set in the future and as I say lots of the themes and some of the crazy things that are happening you're like hey I've seen crazy things this year definitely watch it but yeah basically the handmaidens the women that you would have seen in the white hats and the red coats they are the women that can reproduce and you'd think that they would be treated like queens because they're actually fertile but they're treated like animals and they're just shipped around to make babies because they're the only women in the world that can this sounds like sickening but also like I really want to watch it now this is not what I expected at all yeah it's so twisted and dark and we can legitimately talk about it on chat disney now because it's hulu and yeah it's so barbaric some of the things watching it especially as a woman you just think where are they finding the strength it's hideous and you wouldn't wish their fate upon like your worst enemies but this is why i'm saying it's like a bit like game of thrones where you're watching these like disgusting sickening things happen but because the storyline is so good you just can't look away oh my god no i'm actually going to watch this definitely do it it's awesome prime and then obviously hopefully in the future we will get hulu as a part of disney plus i know that in america that's already happening so i'm really hoping that that happens in the uk and for another reason so we found out last year for any keeping up with the kardashians fans very sad keeping up with the kardashians after 20 seasons has ended however Chris Jenner there's no flies on her she has made a deal with Hulu for a brand new Kardashians TV show so I can legitimately say now that Kardashians and Disney are linked of course she has I mean it's a tenuous link but there we go <laughs> absolutely I mean yeah I'm not surprised that, that she's done that and speaking of that I mean I hope that we do get some of the more American stuff that they have on Disney Plus. I really excited the other day, sat down, I had planned it for a couple of days, sat down to watch Anastasia on Disney Plus and it's not there. And I was like, they made this announcement that it was coming and it must be on the American one only. So disappointed. Get a VPN. Yeah, I know, I need to. Yeah, yeah, I love Anastasia and I know it sickens you, Tash, but I feel like 
she's not a Disney princess, obviously, but the people that mistake her for being one, it's like, okay, you can be let off a little bit now. No. (laughs) (laughs) Still no, definitely not. But she's Don Bluth as well, right? Yeah, but still no. But she's created by an ex-Walt Disney animator and owned by Disney. But now she's owned by Disney. I still I still can't have it. She's not a Disney princess. Sorry, Anastasia, I love you, but she's not a Disney princess. So Grumpy gets really angry with this as well when Disney like brands something as Disney when they didn't make it. So even with Hamilton, he got really angry. So we rewatched Hamilton this week. And Tash, you were absolutely right. The more you watch that, the more I watched it twice in like two days, and I'm obsessed again, all over again. I love it so much. Anyway, but yeah, we put it on and Grumpy loves Hamilton as well. And the Disney castle came up at the beginning and he like lost his rag. And I was like, Chris, Lin-Manuel Miranda sold the rights to this recording to Disney. They own it. And he was like, yeah, but to put the Walt Disney castle at the beginning as though they made it, they didn't make it. And all of this, he got so angry. Oh, but see, I I kind of know what he means, but then I quite like it when they do stuff like that because... I like it when they, like, it's not the normal Disney castle with, like, the sound, is it? Like, they have, like, I don't know what sound, but it's like a Hamilton. It suits the the thing. Like, I like when they do that, so I don't have an issue with that. And also, like, I know that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote Hamilton independently of Disney, but that actual recording only ever went out as a Disney owned thing it's not like that recording of the show already existed Disney bought the rights to that recording and they broadcast it yeah exactly but no I can see where he's coming from with some stuff but I think yeah we've gone off on a massive tangent here about Disney own what Disney own and what they should claim that is a Disney production and whatnot interestingly on Hamilton I know that that's not what to look forward to in the future although maybe it is maybe we'll get to finally see it on the West End this year who knows but I think you'll be quite shocked about this I discovered just by random happy accident that Hamilton the recording that is currently on Disney plus is the 19th highest rated movie on imdb is it really one nine wow that that's very impressive and also that made grumpy angry because he was like but it's a piece of theater and i was like yeah but it's been recorded for film and he was like but it's on stage and i kind of agree with him Uh, yeah i i do agree i mean you know maybe it's only a matter of time before disney have total rights and produce their own film would not be surprised before we die we will see a live action musical adaptation from the Walt Disney Company of Hamilton 100% we will see that I agree as long as it doesn't have the Muppets in it I'm fine with it (laughs) I can really imagine a Muppet version there's so much speculation online that like that's what they should do in what is it the American Square in um Walt Disney in Magic Kingdom they should do like a Muppets versus like Hamilton mashup kind of thing which I think would be very cool as a Walt Disney World attraction yes not as a movie (laughs) no not as not as a piece of (laughs) theatre oh my gosh can you imagine like Kermit like Alexander Hamilton (laughs) Alexander (laughs) Hamilton no just just no 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 but I yeah because again I'm meant to be going to see it in September all being well hopefully 
but like I've watched that production it's got like four or five times now on Disney plus and I've listened to the soundtrack god knows how many times so I'm a bit apprehensive about seeing it with the brand new cast so yeah, I yeah I completely know what you mean I said the same thing like I'd be very happy to see somebody other than Lin-Manuel Miranda. I completely appreciate the genius of his writing and music and lyrics and everything that he created, but I don't know that he's the best performer. So I would be very open to seeing somebody else in the role of Alexander Hamilton, but like Lafayette, Thomas Jefferson, and and Jonathan Groff playing the king. Like, no, I don't want to see anyone else in that role. Yeah, I completely agree. And I really wanted the Jonathan, the sorry, the King role to be by someone really famous for the London production, but it was someone that I've not heard of. So I was a bit disappointed by that. That is a real shame. Mm-hmm. And talking about musicals and what we're looking forward to, Frozen, the musical, is making its West End debut this year. Tash and I are very excited. We've got tickets for this. They have been pushed back to the summer, so Tash and I are due to go in July I'm very confident we'll get to see that show in July. Uh, this, uh, do you know what? This is one thing that I, uh, I am feeling very positive about. I think that that will definitely go ahead. What it will look like, will we have to wear masks? I don't know, but I'm very sure that we'll be okay for this. Yeah, I'm really confident. I'm going to put myself out on the line and say, if it gets to July and we don't get to see that show, I'll be very shocked. Same. <laughs> Something's going wrong if, if that's the case. I agree. And obviously Mary Poppins as well is making its West End, well, not its debut because Tash and I watched it in the noughties, but it's coming back to West End. So again, very, very exciting for anybody in the UK that loves Disney theatre. Definitely. So we've touched upon parks, we've touched upon films, Disney Plus theatre. Is there anything else that is happening this year for Disney? I can't think of anything. No, not really. I mean, we've touched upon all the main things and I think that this year and and we've said it a lot today but this year is really just about getting back to where we were getting back to that level footing getting the parks open getting the theatres open getting the cinemas open and as I said my resolution for this year is not to take anything for granted so if I get to attend a theatre production or the cinema to watch a new piece of Disney content this year I'm going to be very satisfied with my 2021. Oh, same. Absolutely. I think that's all we can hope for at the moment. And I really sincerely hope that some of our listeners manage to get to Disney parks this year as well, whether it's in France, our local park, or whether you get to fly further afield, maybe to America or some of the Asian parks. I I sincerely hope that anyone with a Disney trip planned this year gets to experience the magic. Very well said. So I think that basically concludes everything for the main part of the episode. So we're going to head into the next part of our episode, our soul review. So when they announced soul and they announced the concept I was a little bit apprehensive about it because instantly it gave me massive vibes of Inside Out. Great, they go back to this other world that's not quite human, but is to do with being human still. I was like, okay, this reeks of Inside Out. So I went into it a bit apprehensive. 
One of the things I was most looking forward to was the fact that it was set in New York and Brooklyn, particularly. I love New York. I think it's such a magical city. And I, when I watched the trailers, I think that they captured it so, so well. So I was very excited to see that. But I was also very nervous that we weren't going to see enough of it. And it was mainly going to be, you know, in the great beyond the great before, um, which we come to know that is where the film is mainly set. So when I started watching the film, I loved kind of like the jazziness of it. And I really liked the, the scenes of New York. I liked Joe Gardner as a character. And then for me, all too quickly, he was killed off, taken to the great beyond, the great before. And then for me, I was very, very scared. Like, great, that's it. Like, maybe we'll have the odd flashback to New York, but we won't see more of it. And then there was that whole twist where he actually comes back to Earth and his soul ends up in the cat and the character of 22, who we'll talk about more in a minute, ends up in his body. And that, I was very, very happy with this twist because I think it was a very clever decision not to allude to that at all in any of the trailers. I did not see that coming. And so the fact that the film kind of took that twist on very early for me was very, very welcome to how I thought I was going to feel in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. Mercedes, I'm very intrigued to know what you thought of this film because when I think of you, jazz is not something that I particularly think of. I know that you don't like a trombone or a trumpet. I know that it irks you no end. Or a sax, maybe it is. What were your first expectations? What were your first thoughts? Yeah, it's a sax I hate. As soon as the castle came up and there was that like school band, I literally was like, turn this off. No. I, much like you, I actually hate Inside Out. There, I said it. I hate it. I think it's one of the worst Pixar movies after Wally. We all know how I feel about Wally. Really don't like Inside Out. And I had the lowest of expectations going into this film. I have mentioned this on the podcast before. One of the things that I was really concerned about was the backlash that I felt Disney might face because we already know that lots of people were very unhappy that the first ever black Disney princess, Tiana, spends the movie as a frog. And I was like, here we go again. You've created this black protagonist who is going to spend the majority of the movie as a soul and I felt that was dangerous and I just couldn't be bothered with the artsy conceptual look at us we're so cool and abstract at Pixar like get over yourselves I just couldn't be bothered so same as you the film started I instantly loved Joe, the lighting in this film is incredible. The streets of New York could be live action. It's like the best cinematography and it's animated. It's gorgeous. And then, of course, spoiler, he falls down the manhole cover. He's dead. And then we get the title sequence. Really long intro, which I quite liked. And again, you know, this kind of artsy conceptual. We've got this black and white line drawing as Joe kind of plummets to to the land of after or beyond or whatever it's called and I'm like oh here we go it's like Pixar being all like abstract and artsy and cool and I just could not be bothered we get to 
the land of before or whatever it's called and we've got those weird jerry characters and i was just not interested at all then this idea of him being a mentor i was like okay maybe a bit more interesting and then it all changes the twist as tash has alluded to they come back to earth joe is the cat 22 is joe yes i am here i really really enjoyed this movie i think i went on twitter actually after i watched it and i was like i'll give it a solid six out of ten which might seem quite low but in my mind a five is average and i saw it as like slightly above average but i've actually watched it a second time because i'll be honest i wasn't really paying very much attention in the beginning because i did think they were just going to spend it all as souls floating around as like these weird amoeba type things and i just wasn't interested but then when i realized i actually really liked the film i went back and watched it again and i would now give it a 7 out of 10 so you are right, Tash. The saviour of this film was getting Joe and 22 on Earth as quickly as possible. I'd say it was probably like a good 35 minutes into the movie. Quite a lot happens before that moment. But when that happens, then we understand. And the message you take from this movie to just enjoy life. It goes back to everything that we've been talking about today. Take nothing for granted. Eat that slice of pizza. Walk down and feel the breeze. You know, do a job you love. Don't be an investment banker because it will destroy your soul. That is just such a great message. But I still stand by what I say. This is Pixar being clever. And as an adult, as a 29-year-old that's interested in animation and interested in kind of the concept and the message and that sort of thing, I loved it. I can't imagine how a child would interpret this film. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It it does that thing where it asks very much like those kind of existential questions, as you know, Pixar films often do. But it does that a little bit too much, I feel like at least in Inside Out, I feel that, you know, it is very colourful and bright and, you know, you've got the character of like Bing Bong and all the five emotions are, you know, they're more kind of traditional characters, whereas this is more a live action, not a live action, but it is, it's about people and it's, it's a real humanist film in a way. I mean, I love the focus on the African-American community you know they've got that scene in kind of the barber shop which I think is really important for this film and I like that there's so much focus on elements like that and I don't know if a lot of kids would necessarily get it and I think that that is probably why they put all the jerrys in to be a bit of comedy for for children because yeah I wasn't too sure about them either I don't think it needed it I think it would have been more interesting with without them. And that's why I'm glad that they did so much of a focus on Joe as a character. It probably, I would say, out of all the Pixar films, it definitely feels like the most adult, I would say. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's for a child audience at all. And as you say, it's asking these really big questions of you. And I would be really interested, actually, to get a child's view. I'm hoping that our friends at 37 Disney Street do a review and that they ask their children what they thought. Because I often think sometimes that as adults, we find these thematic threads that a child might miss you know Zootopia talks a lot about discrimination and minorities you've got the battle between the prey and the predators and there are a few throwaway comments I know that one of them touches the sheep's hair and she's like never touch my hair and there's a few other moments that I can't think of right now but definitely talk about you know ethnic minorities and that sort of thing 
as a child, you're not going to pick up on that. You're just going to think that sheep doesn't like her hair being touched. So I do wonder sometimes as adults, if we look for things or we realize things that a child would just glaze over, but then what is a child, if you take all of that, like that to me is why this film is successful. If you take all of that away, what have you got? You've got the story of a man that dies and isn't ready to die and then helps a baby soul to realize why life is great and then he gets to come back to earth like it's well he's oh and then he is a cat and they get mixed up like it's not a strong enough storyline without these bigger existential questions there for me what makes it a success yeah I completely agree and I actually think one of my least favorite bits about it was the fact that they made him body swap with a cat and I can only imagine that is to have a bit of appeal to children and for the comedy element. It would have been interesting. I mean, like, you know, Body Swap, we've seen a million of them. It's not an original idea, but it would have been interesting to see maybe into another person. I don't know. And like kind of got from both their sides, but then I guess you wouldn't have got such a focus from Joe. I don't know. And then I guess, you know, how would 20 of two gone into another body? It would have had to have been either a baby or as someone who was dying at the hospital. So maybe it wouldn't have worked, but there we go. Yeah, because we see the cat's soul going off to the land beyond or whatever. That was a question I had as well at the end when Joe does get reunited with his body. Does the cat's soul like come back? Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I was left on a bit of a cliffhanger as well from this movie. Like obviously Joe gets to come back to earth and 22 gets their earth pass, but... I was really hoping that the two of them would meet on Earth because 22, you know, obviously 22 is going to be a baby at that point. But in 20 years time, if 22 could remember, I mean, that's the whole point is that we don't remember, do we? We're born and then, yeah. But if 22 could remember that Joe Gardner lived in Brooklyn and was a music teacher and performed with Dorothea in this jazz band, like then 22 could make the trip to New York and they could be reunited and I, I I really wanted to know what happened to 22 yeah I almost wanted like you know at the end of Monsters Inc where Sully goes to Boo back to Boo's door and like you don't see her but you just hear her voice I almost wanted something like that I thought it ended quite abruptly actually when he went back to earth I wasn't quite ready for it to finish there but maybe that's the point And I guess they could never be reunited, right? Because we don't even know the gender of 22. 22 says that they use a middle-aged white woman's voice because it's the most irritating. Can I just say as well that that bothered me? I know it was probably a jibe at like Karen's, but as a white woman that will be middle-aged not too distantly in the future, that really annoyed me because I think women do get labelled with being annoying a lot, especially because she was comedic. Like, there's a lot of bad press that female comedians get. And, like, female comedians are annoying and women that are funny and not attractive. And I that I actually had a problem, and maybe I'm being a bit of a Karen, but I, I had a problem with that line. Yeah, I kind of agree. And Tina Fey, who voices 22, you know, she is a middle-aged female comedic woman, so I guess that's why. But... Yeah, I I can see what... I think that very much plays into a gender stereotype. 
which I feel like, come on, Disney, come on, Pixar, we're trying to pull away from this a little bit. Definitely, yeah. I had a bit of an issue with that line. But anyway, to my first point, we don't know the location, the gender, anything about 22. 22 could be an Icelandic little boy. Like, we ha- we just don't know. And because you don't remember the land before or whatever it's called. The great before. The great before. Thank you. Then how 22 is not going to remember Joe and 22 could be anyone. So to want them to meet is a big ask and it just wouldn't work. But I, I, I agree. I think what you said about it ending abruptly was very true. Yeah, I would have at least to have liked to have seen a bit more of Joe kind of getting back and appreciating his life just for what it is. Because that's the whole message of the film at the end of the day, isn't it? So yeah, it was a bit abrupt the end for me. I agree. And there was this concept of your passion versus your purpose. And I personally interpreted that as though Joe's passion is jazz music, And his purpose, I felt, was being a teacher. And I would have actually really liked it if through mentoring 22 and helping and guiding 22, Joe had turned around and said, do you know what? Actually, jazz music's my passion, but my purpose is teaching and I'm not going to perform with Dorothea Williams. I'm going to stay as a high school band teacher. I've been given this job because mentoring young people is my purpose. I would have liked that ending. That's exactly, I turned to Benji when they were having this whole thing about the purpose at the end. I was like, oh, so his purpose is to teach, not to play music. I thought exactly the same thing. And then at the end, when it basically alluded to the fact that, you know, it's just to enjoy your life and make the most of it, I was like, oh, okay. But maybe that is what happened because we see Joe perform with Dorothea Williams and he says, doesn't he, I thought I'd feel differently. And she gives that really cryptic anecdote about the fish in the ocean, which I didn't, I kind of got, but didn't quite get. And so maybe that is what happened. Maybe Joe did it and was like, that didn't give me the satisfaction. I thought it would. I'm going to stick with teaching high school band. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, maybe. I I did really enjoy it, though. I would give it a good... I think I'd give it a good 7 out of 10 as well. I do want to go back and watch it because I think I'll view the beginning differently knowing now sort of what happens and how it plays out. But, yeah, I would give it a good 7 out of 10 too. Yeah, I think 7 out of 10 feels super comfortable to me. It's certainly not my favourite Pixar film, but it really exceeded my expectations. I went into it really negatively as I said I thought it was going to be similar to Inside Out and that we were going to spend the majority of the movie in this kind of abstract place with these two very abstract characters and the fact that they do get back to New York sort of partway through the movie much earlier than I anticipated completely changed the tone I was not expecting the twist of the body switch which as you said we've seen it time and time again in movies and in tv shows but I appreciated that because it was just very surprising. And it was done in a different way as well. It wasn't just like my body's in yours, yours is in mine. It was all about the soul. I I thought it was done in a more clever way than just being like a traditional body swap. Yeah. One other thing that I just want to say before we wrap up was something else that left me unsatisfied. I know that the message was, you know, no one has a passion, no one has a purpose, just live each day as it comes, seize the day. But I did want to know what 22's passion or purpose was because, you know, 
we meet these these souls who are you know number 652 or whatever and then we meet 22 so we get instantly that she's been hanging around a long time she tells us she's had all of these mentors in the past these really iconic historical figures that have been unable to motivate her and inspire her or him or them whatever gender and I would have liked to know you know we get that scene where the sort of conquer or acorn or whatever it is falls from the tree and Joe's face obviously with 22 soul inside his body kind of lights up and you definitely get a moment there of joy but I wanted to know categorically what it was that motivated 22. Yeah I thought it was just like you know an enjoyment and an appreciation of life and like that little leaf thing that fell down that's what it came from and like how great like the small things in life are but yeah yeah and that makes sense because obviously 22 collected the pizza crust and the lollipop from the barber shop so yeah just just living exactly exactly so yeah I think there is definitely a lot that we can take from that film yeah absolutely and it's interesting as well maybe getting a little bit kind of deep here but I have a fear of death and when I kind of realized at the beginning of this movie that it was going to focus on the soul and dying and kind of what happens after I thought maybe it would help me but actually it did quite the opposite because I could completely relate to Joe running down that sort of escalator of people saying I'm not ready to die I was like that'll be me I'll be like no because I love living I love life I love my life and you know, I I really resonated with that, you know, that idea of sort of just, just loving being alive. And again, links back to our theme of 2021, take nothing for granted, enjoy every moment this year, going out for dinner with friends, eating a pizza on the sidewalk as people hustle and bustle past, just enjoy everything. I completely agree. And I think that's such a nice place to leave our first episode of 2021 for today. Completely. And if you have watched Soul on Disney Plus and perhaps you hated it, perhaps you think it's a 10 out of 10, you don't know what Tash and I are on about, please do get in touch. We love to hear your thoughts. You can send us a tweet at Chat Disney UK. Or you can find us on Instagram at Chat Disney. And we will be back next week, the same time, the same place. And we look forward to speaking to you all then. Bye for now. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.